Welcome to Let's Fix Things, exploring how user experience impacts the world of IoT and connected devices. Who's good morning? Hey, Joe. Hey, how's the weekend? Uh, it's hay fever season again. I took a long nap yesterday. It's a, at least it's nice outside. It was it was it was a nice weekend, which sometimes we don't get here. It seems like summer has finally hit. Yeah, well, except for last week when it was pouring rain half the time and it was like 15 degrees. That's what I'm saying. So. Summer has finally hit. <laughs> Much more humid this year. A lot more thunderstorms than I remember in the past years, too. Or at least more, more rain during summer. I don't know. Yep. I've only lived here for five years. So. Summer's here. <laughs> Enjoy it. That's a horribly depressing statement. <laughs> uh, so, so last week we had uh, in the studio uh, some of our friends, or one of our friends, not some, uh, Sammy up at uh, Nordcap, which is uh, one of our friendly studios over in Helsinki, uh, dropped by and had some beers with us on Friday. And he brought up uh, he brought up something interesting that that seemed like it was an appropriate uh, conversation to open the show with. Uh, so so we sat down and we were talking about what we're doing at the company. We're talking about all connected devices, uh, different protocols, all this kind of stuff, and how all these experiences can be wonderful. How some of them are messed up. And he brought up this idea that I, I hadn't heard of, but uh, Chus, you're familiar with it. Of, uh, and I'm not going to pronounce this right, probably. Uh, uh, Kintsugi? Kintsugi? Kintsugi. I, I, I don't know. I, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm not the best at pronouncing some of these sometimes. But it's the art of repairing broken pottery or furniture, or not furniture, pottery or plates or uh, that type of ceramic material with gold. Is, yeah. that, is, is it Japanese? Is that... I think it's Japanese. Okay. Yep. And so the idea is that if you break something, so a, a pot, and this is from hundreds of years ago, uh, if you break a pot or a dish or something, that you repair it with uh, gold and that it makes it more valuable through the repairing. Uh, and, and we got into this whole conversation about how this actually uh, affected the connected devices and IoT space and, and that you're fundamentally taking a lot of these experiences that aren't necessarily... Broken. I get we've mentioned uh, turning on and off your lights is the default one we always mention. Uh, but there's all these different things from from juicers to refrigerators to washing machines uh, to shower heads, these types of things that aren't necessarily broken, but you're adding connected bits to it to try to do this. You know, you're sort of treating it like you're repairing it with gold, but then unfortunately the experience never really works and it and it breaks down. Yeah, it it, it reminds me of of what is being done in uh, in responsive web design where you're talking about uh, progressive enhancement versus graceful degradation. And I definitely do think that when you're adding connectivity to a device that previously didn't have it, you need to look at it from the way of progressive enhancement. At its basis, you need to give the device the functions that it has bef had before and just make it better every step of the way. So when Wi-Fi comes in, your device has magic powers. But if Wi-Fi falls down, you just have a good device left. Well, why, why couldn't you just call it graceful degradation then? I mean, like you sort of, you're starting from the bottom and building up. Why couldn't you start from the top and build down or break down? That doesn't sound right. Build down. <laughs> I, I think it's the mindset when you're designing it will help you along the way to make, the, uh, to make it better when you build up from the bottom. It gives you a, a better handhold to make sure that the basic functionality of the device is leaving you with a good device at all times. Versus when you're designing how it breaks down, you just have less of, of uh, it's an afterthought. 
No, I mean, what worries me there is that uh, then you treat the build up as an afterthought. You're like, yeah, we're going to design a great washing machine uh, and, and then we'll add some stuff on top of it versus, uh, well, maybe this is a bad example. We're going to you know, build a great connected washing machine. Although, you know, I, I question because there's still not been much service models uh, uh, attributed that are really good there. Uh, but we're going to build a great connected washing machine. And then how could we break that down to make sure that it's, I mean, it, it's, it's approaching it from two different angles. I don't know that they're actually different or that they would yield different results, but it just seems like you could start it from the top and, and, and break it down as opposed to starting from the bottom and trying to sort of incrementally add Legos on. I guess it's a potato potato argument. You just need to make sure that when your special functions stop, that your basic device is still a good experience. Yeah. Well, okay. So we'll, we'll at least agree on that one, that if you're coming at it from the top or the bottom, at least at that point, have a device that doesn't fail when connectivity stops. Uh, sp- speaking of that, Siri is starting, HomeKit and Siri are starting to drive me nuts. Um, only be, I, I, and, and you're laughing because I keep bringing this up because I have all my lights connected. But for some reason, it takes me two or three times now to turn on my lights. And I don't know why. I, I keep telling Siri and, it's, and it doesn't work until the second or third time. Did you try turning it off and on again? No. no but what, what I do realize, though, is I, I, treat, I treat voice uh, systems as if they're a person I'm getting annoyed at. So, uh, you know, I'll tell it wants to turn on my lights and then I'm, and I'm, I'm assuming this would be the same with any other Google or Alexa or anything else. Uh, I, I tell it to turn on the lights. I'm sorry, Joseph. I cannot, or, you know, your lights are not responding or I cannot find any of your lights. And I'm like, they're got, I'm looking at my damn lights. Like they're right there. And so then you, you, you speak it again. You're like, turn on the lights. Like you get this anger that, that even though you're, you're, you know, the machine can't process anger. It's just funny that you have this already anthropomorphized idea of, you know, damn it, damn it, machine. Like, listen to me. <laughs> I'm afraid I can do that, Joe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, that's what it sounds like. And it's, it's so frustrating. You're like, but you should work. But yeah, so uh, in, in, in the case of repairing things with gold, that just, uh, it was an interesting conversation about how brands need to uh, think about building, if, if, if these connected devices a lot of times cause more people pain, how they actually... Uh, do it a little bit nicer and, and, and not uh, and not repair it with some sort of horrible mud. But on to today's main topic, I think. I think that's going to be a, a good segue. Uh, no, that won't be a good segue, but it'll work out anyway. So uh, we wanted to talk about, and, and what, we were, what we were planning to talk about, is all about uh, how connected devices are, can help or hinder brands. Uh, so what are the different ways that... that by allowing your devices to get connected, you can actually help your brand grow or help your help customer loyalty. But then at the same time, what are the ways that are going to you know, cause problems within your brand? And this is thinking about it from a company point of view, from a business model point of view, from a marketing point of view. There, there's a lot of different ways you could, uh, you could address this, and we're just going to talk about a few of them. So first is the point to, to step back and remember that the world is fundamentally changing for consumers. You know, 50 years ago, 30 years ago, I mean, when I was growing up, a company would make a product and then they would put that product in stores and they would pay for placement of the product in the store. They'd pay for it on an end cap and you would walk into the store and you would purchase that product. And that was a very simple process. There was basically the middle, the middle layer was all the stores who sold uh, CPG, computer, uh, computer, <laughs> consumer packaged goods, not computer packaged goods. Uh, and it was this very simple uh, process that, you know, and I won't, I won't expand on that too much right now, but at, at this point, you have an entire situation 
where companies create products uh, and they can sell those through a, a complete new variety of ways. And they can sell it direct to the customer. They can sell it indirect to the customer. And the indirect aspect can be through all these different uh, you know, points of sale, anything from, as we've said, you know, voice, and chat, these different situations. And, and five years ago, you know, companies still, still were going after this three-screen strategy, this idea that, I, okay, I need a good mobile experience. And everyone went after building applications. And applications is how we're going to sell everything and, and do everything. And, and, and this was you know, a big thing. Every company had to have an application, even if people only downloaded and used it once. And I think at this point, we're now seeing a, a little bit of a backlash from that, that people are, are less willing to download applications, especially as more middleware comes up. But it, it, it's become a much more complex ecosystem for companies, brands who are pushing connected devices that now they have connected devices go out that they can sell through a variety of mediums. Those connected devices connect up to platforms that are, you know, uh, maybe they're the company's platform, maybe they're third-party platforms. So we, we've gone from a five-screen strategy, I'm sorry, a three-screen strategy to a five-screen strategy with a watch and a TV. You have, uh, and now it's moving towards a no-screen strategy. And so companies may have an application, but a lot of times their sales may need to start coming from other channels. And that could be voice channels or middleware and and. This is a lot how WeChat in, in China works. So WeChat provides a platform. Everybody in China has that, that platform, that application. And then people, companies put their, uh, they plug their services into WeChat. So companies can build uh, into Telegram or Slack over here. Yeah, yeah. You, you have Facebook that introduced their bot platform a while ago by now. Um, and you, you even have iMessage now that's trying to jump on board even though they have a different model of getting um, apps into iMessage. So instead of uh, the chat being very smart and seeing what you're saying, your apps can have a iMessage plugin. So it's pretty much a plugin-based system. Yeah, so, so here, and here's where I, I, I'm curious on the, the experience fact, uh, factors for this for people. And this is something, I mean, I, I think you and I differ a little bit on how we view privacy. I know you, you like to keep your data. I'm, I'm a little bit more open on this. But if I think about a bot or I think about um, a system that reads my messages and then can weave in suggestions based on those messages or a bot that integrates to Facebook, that's a fundamentally different model than something like WeChat, which uh, allows me to almost plug an application into another application. And I'm just curious, for, well, again, since we, since we don't always agree on our privacy models, are you bothered by something like iMessage or Facebook, which may allow companies to look at the data that you're having conversations with friends and plug advertising or suggestions. I mean, maybe if it doesn't look like advertising, it'll be less annoying. Yeah, I, I actually think that iMessage is the one where you're fully in control. The one you're describing now is more of the Google model, where yeah, with yeah. iMessage, you have to install an app to enable it to happen in iMessage, whereas Google tries to parse your data and be as smart as possible. So whenever they have a new way of parsing your data and being smart about it, they'll throw it at you. So I think you're going to have to drop your iPhone finally. No, that's not going to work. No, no. <laughs> well, well, I mean, and, and, until we keep, uh, and, and I, I don't know, once they drop that stupid headphone jack, I'm going to be annoyed uh, if they do that with the, with the next iPhone. But I just don't think I can go over to an Android phone yet. I know, I know you enjoy it, but I'll, I'll be waiting. Um, so, so yeah, I, 
And that's just the difference with with the sort of Apple experience. Apple's betting that that people are a little bit more privacy conscious, that they do all their processing, or not all their processing, but they do a lot of it on the phone versus Google, which is going to take all your privacy or all your data, put that in the cloud. And it feels like Google's going to win out at doing a better job on the machine learning side to make intelligent suggestions, which are really just going to be advertisements, I, I, I think. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll be curious to see how people end up responding to this, how they, how they end up using it, I think, at, at some point, right, is, is uh, how much is there going to be a backlash versus how much people are going to accept. And I think slowly people are just going to accept being less and less private, being tracked more and more if it gives them convenience. And I think as long as that experience gives them convenience, they're going to be okay with being more tracked. Yeah, the, the big data apocalypse hasn't happened yet, right? We only see about passwords being the hell stolen. That? That? We see about passwords being stolen, but not many people have had big bad effects on their data being stolen, literally. It's only, they seem only to be after credit card data and other financial stuff, but nobody has actually gotten into trouble yet by having whatever data is being stored being stolen by somebody else. I guess because a lot of that data seem, or seems to be used for advertising and now hackers are thinking like, man, if only I could advertise my services better. If only I had that data to get at that, that, that advertising model, that would be great. So the, uh, out, out of all of that, uh, out of all of those situations going, the world has fundamentally changed is what we're trying to get to. Is that, you know, one screen, three screen, five screen, no screen. So, so you're changing all of these different models and there's different models on how you plug into middleware services and all these different, all these completely different experiences. And this leads right into some of the positive impacts that you can actually come out of it with. So if you have all of these, uh, if you have these situations that you have all these different touch points, it allows you to uh, proliferate your brand more across things. So previously I would have a website and I could go to the website if I didn't have a store close by me, close by to me. Uh, now I could have a mobile application five years ago that I could order from. Uh, you know, uh, now I can start to have a ton of middleware services that are coming up that are allowing me to order through those services. So it just creates more customer touch points, more service points. So companies can have their services pushed through a variety of different channels. And, uh, you know, a hotel previously would just have their website, then they go through middleware services of, of booking or hotels.com. Uh, then they go through a voice service and they have chat integration. So they can actually sell their services to a complete, you know, why a much wider variety of touch points, which is, which is something from a, from a, again, a connected device point of view. It's really nice for a brand to, to, to look at. Yeah. It seems that, that most companies now are fighting to be in control of the smart home. Everybody wants to be the hub. Everybody wants to brand the thing that you directly interact with. But I think it's much more cool to see how you can actually surface your brand when you're not the hub. There can only be one king of the hill in the house, only one hub, I think, or at least well, at the I, moment. At some point right now, I think I have three hubs in my house and, and I still don't have that many connected devices, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that, that many of the hubs right now are aiming to to try to unify all of these technologies into one. But the guys that have the smarts to unify these technologies are not the guys that are selling the services. Yeah, yeah. And so you get into a situation where, again, you can sell your services through all of these different companies, which allows you as a which allows you as a brand to have a lot more touch points. Especially if I'm saying, if you know, if I'm talking to Alexa and, and I say, "Hey, you know, pull up a 
And, and that's curious. Would I, would I then go directly to the hotel? So I want a Holiday Inn in Paris or Holiday Inn Express in Hong Kong. Or would I say, Alexa, look at uh, booking.com for the latest deals on uh, hotels in Hong Kong. At, uh, by the way, if anyone has uh, a, a Amazon Echo, I'm probably setting it off left and right. I probably shouldn't yell out that name too much or, you know, hopefully they're not listening to it on speakers, listening to what we're saying. Uh, yeah. So, so th- that's a, that's a really nice way of thinking. How do you, how do companies control the experience when they don't necessarily have control of the way that users are interacting with their brand? And so, so the positive point there is that they have all these different ways now of selling their services. So they can actually create a lot more channels to sell services but the downside of that is they start to become, uh, you know, they, they, maybe I don't know I'm using hotels.com to book that hotel. Maybe on the back end it actually is using all the hotels.com stuff, but I just asked, can you find me a hotel in Hong Kong? And so all of a sudden you have more touch points to sell your services, but you're not actually getting credit for it. But, but does hotels.com really care? They're still selling their hotel to you. Does it really matter that you know who it came from as long as they can keep on selling hotels to everybody? I don't know. I, I think you want recognition because you still want people to attribute it to your brand. I mean, this, this has been a situation with telcos over the past decade, right? Nobody like, you know, do I want AT or in the US, do I want AT&T or do I want Sprint or do I want T-Mobile? And there's always this, this argument. I mean, you know, and I've worked for several telcos doing consulting in the past. And they're always trying to find ways that they can stay relevant for users. And, and you're sort of like, why can't you just become the dumb pipe? Well, then no one knows who you are. No one knows you know, that you're important. And it's, I mean, over here, do I think of Waternet or, you know, as a brand? I, I think of UPC or, or Zigo, mm. who delivers my connectivity or my cable service as a brand. But I don't think, of, I, I guess I just don't think of Waternet. I'm just like, I just want water. And is that... You know they're still selling their services, but is that is that you know not very beneficial to them? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's it's something. I, I think if I were a brand, I would want attribution for what I was selling, because then people you know grow affinity to it. Okay, I just saw two guys pass by on a mono wheel. You know where you put your feet on the side. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen some of those in my neighborhood. I feel like we're living in the future right now. <laughs> I'm oh. waiting to see one of them fall off. Awesome. Okay, I, I I win the argument by by forfeit. Then yes, c- c- yes, brands brands do care about uh, getting attribution unless they're taking a specific strategy. I, th- I think if if brands are advertising, they care about uh, the services getting attributed to them. If they don't advertise and they just want to become part of you know sort of the back end system, as, and there's still a lot of infrastructure companies that are fine with that, that they white label and they do well, and maybe that's a good way of saying it is is that. Brands can become white-labeled even if they don't want to, right? Because people just may not recognize them. And from a customer, from a, from a customer and end-user experience, do I care about that? Yeah. Do, do I care if I know what brand I'm using? Yeah, I, I guess if you're thinking of, of Spotify, you always, almost always interact with them through their apps, wherever they are, on your mobile or, or on your desktop. But I think... You're not talking about services that are 100% the same. If you look at Tidal having like specific songs and albums available on them, that's where this white label could break. That's where it could shine through that. In the back end, if you're using it as a white label service, it's still Spotify because it's missing these albums that you really want. So I wonder 
can you really start viewing these things as utilities? Are they 100% similar to different people that are offering uh, the same type of content? Are they similar or will the differences make that a problem? Um, and then all I can think of now is like, uh, Christ, how does billing work? Like, I don't, I don't want to get billed for all these services. If, I, if, I'm, if I'm using Title and Title doesn't have something and so, you know, Echo just automatically goes and checks Spotify and finds it for me. Uh, you know, how am I, what's the billing work like on the, ah, oh, Jesus Christ. It'll just that become like Uber. Huh? It'll just become like Uber. At the end of whatever you do, you get the bill and you're just going to have to be fine with it. <laughs> I, I mean, that's, that would be an interesting, that would be an interesting concept, right? Is that all of these companies just start serving up and then I, I, you know, I guess paying for a song wouldn't work, but there's some sort of other revenue model that comes out of that. Um, so, okay. So Positive side, you get more touch points, and then we just talked about the white label point. Of, actually, you know what? With the, with the white label thing, here's here's the other thing about why I think brands want attribution uh, for what they're doing is that. So we we talked previously about building the bot at the uh, at the company. We have IO, which is the bot, um, and IO controls all of our lights, and we have Philips Hue lights in in the office. But for anybody who works in the office, except for you, Hus, uh, who set this up. They don't know that they're Philips Hue lights. They have absolutely no clue. They don't, they don't work with any Philips Hue touchpoint. They don't have to use the application, the service, nothing. You set it all up so they can use it agnostic through Slack. And, but if I'm Philips, I may feel good that I sold you know, eight light bulbs to a company. Oh, that's great. We got that money. But now if, I, if, if me as Joe, not knowing that this is Philips Hue, goes out and buys light bulbs for my home, you know, do I, am I going to buy Philips Hue? I, I mean, I like the light bulbs that we have in the office, but I don't know if those are Philips Hue. I don't, maybe Slack makes a light bulb because they're who I'm using it through. Or, you know, I walk into Media Markt or Best Buy and, you know, oh, I see a LifeX bulb or an Osram bulb and I'm going to grab that. That's what I want because I, all I know is I like the color, but I don't know what the brand is. And so I have no ability to get affinity for any brand and, and therefore all of a sudden you just totally erode it and, and, and yeah, it becomes a white label. So you don't care. You just want the colored lights versus the brand. And I think that's, I think that's a big problem for companies if they can't figure out how to handle that. Yeah. Even I went, when I'm thinking of extending the system next time around, I might just buy a different brand of light bulb and just add them to the system and act like they're the same. Yeah. Cause I, I think Philips, you does work with third-party brands. Right. So yeah, but since I control the server, I can have the server talk to different lights in different ways, and yeah. I'm not going to care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As long as they have roughly the same functionality, good point. Uh, so th- there's there's of course the the negative side of that. Uh, so, but on the back to the positive, if we look at all the touch points that we have, one of the great things that now companies will have more access to is data, and you get all of this uh, you get all of this data at, with all of the the touch points so i can start to understand from a from a company point of view how people are are ordering my services are they ordering them through my app or through a voice control or through a bot that way i can put more you know money or revenue or you know uh, investment behind certain areas so i can control those a little bit better am i do i know what time people are ordering them i mean right this is the uber surge pricing right so if if hotels.com knows that everyone's ordering three days in advance a hotel well you know boost the prices up three days by a one euro or you know two dollars and all of a sudden you have a little bit of a spike there in in your revenue and also with i mean the bigger thing with data is how can you create better customer loyalty so i think i just talked about all the negatives from a customer point of view right how do you how do you get more money from people uh but if if you really 
use that data in a, in a great sense to really connect to people's uh, hearts and minds. And, yeah. yeah, it's not only about what ads you serve up to them, but if you serve up relevant options. If you cut down a lot on people's search criteria and just offer them the one that they're probably going to go for in a way that they understand that's what you did for them, you're going to save them a lot of time. Yeah, well, and this is something I still don't understand, right? Every website seems to have cookies because I have to accept them every, every time I go to a website now. And there's a, there's a concert venue that I enjoy going to in Amsterdam, uh, Melfeth, that is uh, quite, uh, quite friendly to heavy metal shows, which I, which I prefer. And the site has to know that every time I show up there, I'm looking at heavy metal shows. Yet for some reason, I come to the homepage and they, they don't serve that up. And I have to go and hunt for that. I'm like, wouldn't that be so much easier? Wouldn't they sell more tickets to me if they could just throw that up? And you have that data. You know the IP address I'm coming from. You have a cookie on my computer. Why aren't you? There's the data point. That's how you get more loyalty, right? So like, serve me the things that I want and I will stick with you. It's fine. Yeah, the cookies are not for you, Joe. No, I'm a... no cookies. No cookies. We just had some very, some very good cookies. No, oh, that's all. That's all the sugar and coffee that I just had kicking in. That why I'm, uh, why I'm, I'm getting very excited about these things. So yeah, so more touch points, uh, more, more loyalty, and if you can serve customers better through the channels that they want, then you, then you get that. That loyalty follows, or it, you know, it should follow. Uh, and and there's there's a whole separate side that we're talking that we're not talking about that we mentioned briefly about how do you market to all these different channels and uh, I'm not. Don't think this is the time to touch on that. That's a, that's, a, that's a bit of a tougher one. So if we come back to the, to the downside, I think there, I mean, there, you know, there's probably a lot we could say. I would just say if you take that white label point of view and if you take this idea that, that companies may not be getting, services may not be getting affiliated yeah, with the company that you want, uh, then you know, how, do you, how do you solve this issue of, of being a faceless touch point and how do you create unique brand uh, attributes, unique brand methods within middleware services. So if I have, if I have a voice uh, control right now on Philips Hue, I have to say, you know, set scene. But when I turn on my lights, I just say, turn on my lights. I don't say turn on my Philips Hue lights. Um, but you know, it's, it's curious from a, from a company point of view, from a brand point of view, how you would build up, how you would get over this, this potential downside of, of being, of just coming across as a as a watered down service or as a white label, how do you how do you build over that? How do you build in unique voice commands? If you're a bot, how do you build in? Or if you're working with a bot, how do you differentiate your tone of voice from another tone of voice? Yeah, uh, is, I, I have the feeling that company goals might differ because you're you're almost not selling to your end user or your end customer anymore. You're selling to the people that control the interface, right? In the case of our bot. I bought those lights because I wanted to work with them. You guys ended up having colored, uh, color-enabled RGB lights in the office. They were basically sold to me. So is that is that not what companies should start to aim for, or or could that actually form a problem, where if companies start to aim at certain bridges or certain hubs, doesn't it become less connected and less ubiquitous? Uh, I, if I were a company, I would be going towards every possible service I could to to spread out. Um, I was, I was thinking in the last week, I've had two, two conversations about billing on Facebook. And I don't know if I'm talking to a bot or if I'm talking to a person because the, the responses are so generic. But one of them is budget rental car, which has been an absolutely horrible experience. I imagine I'm talking to a person because it just feels like a bot would be more efficient in, in handling those. But the responses are so generic 
that they that they just don't work very well. But it, it is nice that I can actually interact with them on Facebook and I don't have to call them at some points. Um, but the other one was uh, was Microsoft OneDrive, which my, my credit card uh, was stolen a while ago, so I had to replace it. And I forgot to update it on OneDrive. And I tried to update it, and that didn't work, so I had to write on Facebook. And there was, a, there was some problem, so I wrote them a stern, we'll say stern message on Facebook. And the first response was, oh, gosh, I'm really sorry that happened. Right? So, so, someone thought about that. Someone, and and it, 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 if it was not a bot, it was a cut-and-paste response, pretty much. But the, just the idea that someone thought about that language of, oh, gosh, right? It was it, it, like trying to be sort of playful, trying to be sort of funny. And it does instantly disarm you a little bit. You think, oh, that's, that's sort of cute. That's sort yeah. of nice. And so from companies who are in this area where there's just a middle layer like Facebook, you know, handling that conversation, are there, are there language cues that companies can think about or, or, or cues on how you get their services? Uh, that may be what people need to start thinking about as opposed to what unique visual design an application exactly. has. What's the unique word? Yeah, that's what we were talking about, right? If, if you're talking about responsive for screens, we all know what that, that means. Bigger, smaller, font sizes, layouts, whatever. But if you're talking about responsive beyond the screen, so how do you establish your brand when you don't have computer graphics at your disposal, when it becomes pure text, pure voice, even a person? How do you, how do you get your brand across? And, and what are your brand values that you want people to, uh, to notice? We come from an age where there were sounds on the radio that everybody recognized. Yeah, uh, call, call sounds. Or, I like for, for, you know, WQED. Yeah, we're trying to do that with our podcast, with our nice intro sound. But uh, I think everybody remembers Intel's ding, 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 ding. But that's gone now. I haven't heard that in ages. I haven't seen an Intel commercial in ages either. Oh, yeah. I, haven't, I, you know, I, I haven't seen a commercial in ages because uh, I, I do everything on demand. So I don't even have, uh, I don't even have TV channels in my house. No, but, but that's a good point. I could imagine that if I ordered something through a voice system in my house, that uh, whatever that service is, right at the end of it, like, you know, your order has been processed for confirmation. Thank you. And it plays a little sound from that company. That's a really, like, I'd always thought about how words work, how, how people would say keywords in order to access a company. But if you could do a, a, an a audio signature, that, that's a pretty interesting idea. Yeah, and nowadays there are many apps where you can pay to get an ad-free version, but this is a different type of ad, right? This is, this I don't is think this the is service making known that it is the service. So I don't think you, once this starts happening, I don't think companies would want you to turn it off. No, no. Well, it's not, it's not an ad. It's, it's, uh, it's the same thing as a, as a visual design. It's a signature of a company's brand. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, I, and of course, at that point, then the largest advertiser starts to win. Because if I have 30 different sounds that are going through my, my Google Home device or you know, my, my home kit, probably not going to remember the ones unless I order that service a lot. Whoever yells the loudest or the most annoying things will win. Or the most, yeah, the most often. Loudest and the most often, or yeah, it's going to uh, keep in my head. But well, it has the catchiest jingle too. Okay, so there's, there's, there's a bunch of other things. We just scratched the surface on this from the touch points, the loyalty, the, the sort of watering down of services. There's a lot more we could go. I think we're at time at this point or a little bit over time, and we try to keep to 20 or 30 minutes, and I think we're a little bit over that. Uh, so, yes, thank you for listening. Chus, uh, any, any last words? Good? Yeah, I no? think we finally had a good discussion going on. Okay, well, Still then we will uh, we'll talk next week. No, we didn't have a good, we, we had a horrible discussion. So <laughs> need more need more debate. Okay. I will talk to you next week. Bye. All right, bye.